The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the True Ambition Podcast. My name is John Zink, and I'm honored today to be joined by Mr. Jacob Sorensen. He is the CIO at Bank of the West. And where are you, where are you joining us from today, Jacob? Uh, today, I'm in my kitchen in San Francisco, California. I live in Noe Valley neighborhood. Perfect. Um, born and raised in, you were born in Oakland, California. Where, did you go to school there as well? Uh, actually went to high school in Union City, James Logan High School. And uh, like you said, now live in San Francisco. You're married with two daughters. And I had heard from a couple of the people, you got uh, two beautiful little girls. And uh, they're nine and 13 years old. So you've got a busy household. That's right. <laughs> Giants fan, Warriors fan, and Las Vegas Raiders fan. It's happened. You know, I, I grew up, started a Oakland Raider fan, then became a Los Angeles Raider fan, then an Oakland Raider fan, and now I have to. I, I can't. I can't ditch them now. <laughs> I'm actually. Uh, this is being recorded right before the Super Bowl. I'm actually. My wife and I are flying out. We're going with uh, um, the. Caesars and El Dorado uh, Casino Group were actually going to the new Raiders Stadium to watch the Super Bowl in oh, the cool. Raiders Stadium uh, next week. So uh, that should be an interesting. They're definitely social distancing. There's only about 200 people going to it. So we got a lot of room to move. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. So uh, Jacob has his bachelor's degree in economics from UC Santa Barbara. And... Uh, We'll talk about it later, but uh, active volunteer and co-chair for uh, the leadership council for uh, an organization called Year Up Bay Area, and uh, really cool uh, organization, and we'll talk about that more later. So my company, IT Avalon, um, has supported Bank of the West for years, and uh, that's how uh, you and I met. And uh, last time we met face-to-face, which we can't do right now. Um, in your office. That's been a couple years ago. So uh, how are things going with the new normal? Well, you know, I, I think uh, like everyone, uh, it's, been, it's been a challenge. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was used to traveling so much and being able to see the teams and, and connect with people that way. Um, and, and so that, that's been tough. Um, I think early on, uh, as we transition to to solely working from home, um, I think that some it, it was a maybe a little bit easier, uh, but but people have kind of figured out that everyone's home. You know, no no one's uh, uh, taking their kid to practice or or doing or commuting, um, and so it's really really become a, a bit of a, a grind on folks because you know now especially me, I, I work for a, a global organization. Uh, so we have uh, team members in India and Paris, New York, 
So the time zones and when you're able to take calls has just really been a kind of a constant uh, through the day. And it's not just me, it's, it's really all the teams. Uh, so that, that, that part's been a, a challenge and just trying to give people some space. And, and that's something we're talking about quite, quite a bit about, you know, how do we intentionally create space for people when you're working from home and you're, as other people say, you're, you're, <laughs> you're living at work now. Yeah, they say there's a lot of uh, burnout uh, going on with people because you wake up and, you know, the computer's right there and there's always a lot of work to do. And, uh, you know, there's really not a lot of separation between home life and work life. It is, it's just life. And uh, I've talked to a few different people uh, at a leadership level that says really something they're looking at right now is to try to deal with that kind of burnout that people are going through because there's there's just there's not much to do. You know, it's like you can't go outside and go to a restaurant or do any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, a lot of people throw themselves into work. That's right. And, and you know, I, I miss even now the, you know, walking to different conference rooms, taking an elevator between meetings, just that mental break, uh, because now it's just it's this it's, it's constant uh, videos all day long. Uh, and not not time to even do a small uh, context switch. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big change, and I mean the, the last year has been crazy, you know. And uh, what what are some of the biggest lessons that you've kind of learned going through this last process of the last year? Yeah, I mean there's 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 a ton. Um, you know, I, I I mean definitely learned that we can work this way. It, it is a challenge, but um, I don't. I don't think we thought we could have thousands and thousands of people working from home, um, and the organization is is not skipping a beat. Uh, even you know, I, I run a technology organization, and you know, many of our agile development teams they always felt like they you know they have to be next to each other. They have to be shoulder to shoulder. Um, they want to be around a whiteboard and things like that. And, um, we've actually proven we can be as, as productive, um, this way. So that, that's been some of the upside. I do think that, um, you know, me personally, I was traveling a lot, uh, before this, and, um, that has been one of the silver linings of being able to eat dinner at home every day and help out with homework and things like that. Um, where I wasn't as much before. Um, and so I, I do think that the, as we go back to a, a new normal, let's say, uh, after the pandemic, that uh, I think there will be less travel uh, in general. There will still be some, but I, I, I think people have, have now seen that we can be effective over videos. Yeah, big time. You know, speaking of travel, a uh, funny story was uh, you and I were on our way back from Arizona. My wife and I are sitting there, and I look over across the aisle. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Jacob Sorensen. And the fun part was I had just sent you an email about 15 minutes before we got on the plane. And uh, I stopped and said, is your name Jacob? <laughs> you know? And uh, it was interesting. You actually said that uh, you were on like a whirlwind trip and that was your last trip and you were on your way home. So one of my questions is how many different, just, just in America, how many different uh, brick and mortar buildings do you have to, where you, where you have people working 
uh, in the U.S.? I mean, how, how many different places do you have uh, under your belt? Uh, so we have a couple in L.A. Um, I'm just talking where there's technology teams. So L.A., um, um, Omaha, Nebraska, we have a big, uh, big presence. Tempe, uh, which is where I saw you coming back from. Uh, the East Bay here, San Ramon, uh, San Francisco. Um, and then if we extend it to, you know, Bank of the West is a part of BNP Paribas. So we have uh, technology offices in Manhattan, New Jersey, and Montreal as well. And um, I have a role as a deputy CIO for BNPP USA. Uh, so that also gets me moving around uh, to those offices too. So it's a lot, and that's just the U.S. Um, you, you know, we have uh, we have a big presence in Paris, so I'm generally going back there a couple times a year. Uh, we have an office in Mumbai and an office in Chennai, and so uh, I was making that trip every six months. So <laughs> it's it's a lot. Yeah, and with uh, you know, with the with the girls at home, that's got to be a, a lot of. Uh... It, like you said, it's a silver lining. You know, I've got a two and a half year old at home and uh, this has just been a, a wonderful time for me to spend at home with him and uh, get right. to see all those uh, moments that I might have missed, you know, right. traveling all over the place. So, you know, even though we're going through uh, the, these tough times for everybody, there's a lot of, you know, good moments that are coming out of it as well. And uh, so you were in the Bay Area. What what did your parents do for work? My parents. Uh, that's a good question. So, um, so my parents separated when I was when I was two. Okay. Uh, and so uh, I, I had the fortune of having four parents. Basically, um, my 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 mother was a homemaker. My stepfather uh, drove eighteen uh, uh, wheelers for UPS. My father was, for the most part, a county planner for Alameda County, uh, but he did retire as, as a, you know, kind of a head of the administration group for Alameda County. And then my stepmother, who's actually the only one still working, is, has been in marketing her whole career. What, what pushed you towards technology? <laughs> yeah, interesting question. Uh, someone who, who had a big impact on my life was my grandfather, uh, my mom's dad. Um, he was born in Oakland um, to immigrant parents. Um, he he uh, went to Cal. He, um, he was a pilot in World War II. Uh, he flew B-25s in, the, in uh, Asia. And uh, he came back, he became an engineer. Um, he ran his own engineering firm, so he was an entrepreneur. Um, he, he, he was an inventor. He did a lot of really cool and interesting things. And um, so he, he bought me my first computer when uh, I think I was 12. And you, the, the, the memory was on a cassette tape. <laughs> And you would, I remember I was trying to uh, build a, uh, it was some sort of a, it was a card game or something. And you, you type this whole thing out. And if you had one syntax error, 
And it didn't tell you where. You had to start all over yeah. again. Good luck. Yeah. So, um, so he, he, had, he was just a, he, he, he had a huge influence on me. He, he had two daughters and, and one grandchild, me. So uh, he was like a third dad for me, that's for sure. He lived here in the Bay Area, so I got to see him a lot growing up. Um, and even as a, an adult, he and I would talk quite a bit. Sounds like a renaissance man. Did a little bit of everything. Yeah, he, uh, he did do a, a little bit of everything. Um, he invented, um, uh, you know, the stud finder. Oh, yeah. In the house. Yeah. Um, he invented some oven for, do you remember, what were those cookies? Otis Spunkmeyer. Oh, yeah, yeah. He invented an oven for them that they could cook more cookies and, and get the same results. Wow. That's great. And what was his name? His name was Jerry. Jerome Gizditch. Uh, Jer- Jerome sounds like a cool guy. You know, it, you, you got to have those people in your life. And it's like, uh, I was going to ask, are you an only child? Um, y- yes and no. I, I have... Uh, I have two uh, two stepsisters, a stepbrother, and I have a half sister um, who is um, uh, twenty years younger than me. Okay. So, so no, I'm. I would say no, I'm not. But I did grow up in in the house, kind of by myself. Uh, so, kind of grew up as an only child. Okay. Yeah, I'm a I'm an only child, and uh, there's. Uh, Plenty of attention was given to me, <laughs> you know, and uh, I've got uh, my wife grew up with four older brothers and uh, it's just a, a completely different way of being raised. Um, so you said before, where did you go to high school? James Logan. And uh, were you a good student? Um, I, yeah, I, I did well. Um, you know, I, maybe it's kind of an interesting story for, 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 for right now. Um, I think growing up when I was much younger, it was, came naturally. So, you know, you, people say, well, you're, you know, you're smart or whatever. And so you, you just, you did well without really trying. Um, but James Logan was, uh, it's a big school. It's like 4,500 students. And there's a lot of competition, and um, and I was playing baseball at, at the time as well, uh, so trying to balance being a student and an athlete. And most of my friends were not uh, uh, good students, so I didn't have like good role models there. Um, and and after my son, so I did well, but then I was just doing kind of okay. Let's say my first two years of high school. And I went on a trip uh, with my dad that summer before my junior year. Um, and um, and I, I, I think my sophomore year, I got mostly uh, Bs. And I went to all these schools that I want, you know, thought I would want to go to and was looking, you know, going to the admissions offices and thinking to myself, there's no way I'm going to get into the school. I, I, the Bs aren't cutting it. Um, and so that, that was the, I, I had this sort of epiphany. I remember before, um, before I started my junior year and I said, I got to run the table with A's like period. There, there is, there's no other option. I have to run the table with A's. And I did that. 
Um, and I kind of learned a new way and I learned that I actually had to work hard at it. It wasn't just going to like happen. Right. Um, and, um, and so that was, uh, that was huge. Um, got me into UC Santa Barbara. Um, and I, you know, I just continued that, uh, that behavior of really just working hard. Um, you know, I think you realize that you're really not that smart. <laughs> you just got to put in the work and, and, um, and that, that was a huge lesson for me. I think it's a, it's a good point that there, there's always a bigger fish, you know, there's always somebody smarter, you know, but, uh, it, it's pretty hard to fail if you work your ass off, you know? And, uh, one of the questions just going back, I was, when I was listening to you talk about that, what, what was kind of the driving force behind you kind of seeing that, um, that, you know, if I'm going out and I'm going to get into these schools, I need to change the way I'm living right now. Because a lot of kids at that age don't have that kind of vision to see into the future. I need to change something right now. What was kind of the driving force behind that? Um, I, I think a lot of things. I mean, both um, my mom and my dad, uh, they went to, um, they both went to San Jose State. Um, the, pretty much the rest of my family, aunts, uncles, both my grandfathers went to Cal. Um, so, you know, being able to see that, and, 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 you know, where I grew up, there weren't a lot of people who could say both their parents went to college or, you right. know, let alone their grandfathers. Um, and, and so that, that was one thing. Um, I did have a number of other friends who were older um, athletes who went away to school and it was kind of like, you know, that was something I always aspired to, uh, was to be, you know, to see them go away somewhere. Um, so I, I definitely wanted, wanted to get out of my element that I grew up in and, um, and just see something else. And that was the ticket was, you know, was to, to be able to do that was to get into a school and, and go away. Um, also, you know, my, nothing against truck drivers, but my stepdad, you know, that was the house I actually grew up in, um, seeing him work nights and, and, and be a truck driver. And, you know, he'd always say, you don't want to do this. So, <laughs> so you better have a better plan than I did. Well, it's nice to have those people in your life who just want better for you. And they also work their butts off to make it better for us. And I mean, that's the same thing that my parents did. You know, it's, it's funny you're saying you went to a school that had 4,500 people. The town I grew up in in Illinois had 1,500 people. My graduating class was 36 people, you know, and it's like, um, it's just, it, it's amazing to look back and see all the different things that had to line up, you know, just for me to be in the position I'm in. And a big part of that is my parents, you know, mostly right. my mom. But uh, when you were a kid, what did you envision for your life in the future? What, what did you dream about being when you were growing up? It's an interesting question. Um, I, I, um, I always felt like I'd be doing something in business. Um, I felt like I'd be doing something. I, I always had a vision and I could never really put my, my, uh, my, my thumb on it. Um, and I think it's because what I'm doing today didn't really exist back then, you know? And so I think there was some premonition in there. Um, but, uh, and, and so I, I thought I'd be doing something, 
um, building things, something technical, but didn't really know how to articulate it uh, then. I mean, even when I was in college, uh, it was a very interesting time. I was talking to someone about this recently. You know, going, I, I went to school between 1990 and 1994 for college. And at the time, uh, I mean, the internet was not a, even really a thing. Um, people had computers, but it wasn't, um, it, it just, you know, Java hadn't hit, the internet hadn't hit. Um, and so most people were thinking about, well, I'm going to become a lawyer or I'm going to become a investment banker. Like those were the two kind of natural paths for what's next. Um, and, and you just didn't have this like tech technical track. And, um, and so after I left, uh, college, um, you know, everyone's asking what's next, what's next. I didn't have a plan. I really didn't know. Um, and so I actually went to law school for, um, for about nine months. Um, and I hated it. I just absolutely hated it. And, um, but total respect for the, for the, uh, you know, the profession, but it was not in my DNA. And, um, and, and so I left, uh, law school and, and again, had no plan, uh, family was completely, you know, kind of devastated because for them, it's so easy to say, oh, yeah. he's in law school, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Um, and, and so that was a, a definitely a moment of, of kind of, of reckoning, um, you know, didn't, didn't have any money, had to pay rent, you know, the whole thing and, um, uh, got a job and it really got a job at a company called Jimboree, which, uh, sells kids clothes or mm -hmm. used to, um, and just got a break really. I mean, I, I got a break and, um, ultimately ended up working um, a few levels down from a CIO who um, <clears throat> took a liking to me and and uh, gave me some mentoring and things like that. So that, that was definitely a huge break for me. Um, why did I go more that technical route? Um, when I was in college, I, uh, I was in, as you said, I was an econ major, but I, um, I, in my last year in college, I took an honors program. Uh, it, it was uh, it was this uh, research assistant position, um, and I thought, hmm, you know, that sounds interesting. You don't have to write papers. You don't have to take a final. You know, you're just a research assistant, and I get a, a grade for that. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and so I I actually did that, and I was really doing graduate level research under a professor. Super interesting. Um, and, you know, we were studying, uh, so this is, you know, kind of early nineties and, uh, immigration was like a big kind of, uh, political, you know, thing going on. And we were studying whether your ability to speak English, uh, had any effect on your labor market outcome. And, um, and we were looking at Los Angeles. And so, so anyways, I had to get my hands dirty with data. And, and so I had to learn how to build a database. I had to learn how to um, do uh, really early kind of data science work, statistical programming and things like that. 
So really got into that and I was like, wow, I'm, 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 I was just really jazzed about that work. Um, and so, as you know, early part of my career in technology was very focused on data. Well, that's cool. Who, who was that person that gave you your first, uh, in like, uh, that mentor at Jim Bree? His name is Carver Johnson. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a common thread within pretty much every business leader I talk to, including myself, you know, there's, there's that one person who just kind of went out, just kind of liked you for some reason or liked me for some reason and said, you know what, uh, I'm going to take a chance. I'm not sure it's the right one, but I'm going to take a chance. And then, of course, then you got to work your butt off and prove yourself. But it's, yeah. it's a common theme in every person I've talked to. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, yeah, it was that. It was luck as well. I remember um, uh, I grew up listening to a lot of different music, including jazz. There's a lot of jazz in my household. And um, and somehow I think he was playing jazz in his office or something, and I, I knew who it was. And so he was extremely impressed that this, you know, 23-year-old or 24-year-old knew. Um, and one Friday night, he was leaving the office, and he said, hey, me and my wife have an extra ticket to see, you know, uh, I think it was uh, one of the Marsalis brothers, uh, you know, do you want to come? And I thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so anyways, I got to spend some, you know, kind of quality time with him and his wife as well, which I had no business doing that. I was two or three levels below him. Well, that's great. So somebody to, you know, take a personal liking. I, I think I told you before we started the podcast, I just had the drummer from Hall and Oates on here and he turned me on to the Brecker brothers who were big in jazz. And, uh, you know, I, I just went down that wormhole last week while I was getting ready for the uh, podcast. And it's like, there's so many amazing musicians out there. And, you know, just like the Marcellus brothers. And it's just, if you take a second and go down that, it, there's a lot, there's a lot of crossover within IT. IT nerds are also music nerds. You know, and it's like we all kind of talk that same language and we're not all talking IT all the time. So you got to have some kind of personal interest um, in place with those people as well. Um, so one of the things that I saw in your bio is uh, you're a fan, as I am, of Tribe Called Quest. So while I was getting ready for your podcast, I was listening to Tribe Called Quest the whole time. So uh, love me some Q-tip. How did you get into uh, Tribe Called Quest? Well, <laughs> Um, you know, I, uh, I think you and I are the same age. So, um, you know, growing up here in the Bay area and, uh, you know, 1982, I was 10 years old. Um, and, uh, rap and hip hop was, was, that's where that, that, that was it. And so, um, break dancing, the whole thing. Uh, and it's always surprising, I think, when people hear that, you know, from me, but, but that was it. And so it was always, that was my music. Um, that was my break, my, what I identified with, you know, not what my parents were listening to. Um, and, 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 you know, in the high school, same thing. And so I, I was really into the music 
And, um, and so Tribe Called Quest came out and, and I heard, um, you know, I was probably heard Bonita Applebaum or something like that um, and got the album. And I remember I got the album got it a little late, uh, but I got it when I was uh, just going to college. And, you know, back then, you know, you're in the dorm, so you have your headphones on all the time. So I was listening to uh, I was listening to that that first album from them like nonstop. Oh yeah, uh, fell in love. And then, as you said, when you learn about them, you learn about uh, other groups as well. Obviously, De La Soul was really big in high school. Um, but then I I actually became a DJ in college for the the student radio station. Um, and so, so that was a great experience and I got to go really deep there on the music because, you know, back then, and so we're talking 92, 93, what I'd consider the golden age of hip hop. Yeah. Um, um, you know, we get all the, the underground stuff would get sent to us as white label records, you know, from, uh, from all the different groups. Um, I remember I still have the white label from Wu-Tang Clan, the very first uh, single they put out. Um, and we also got to meet a lot of the artists as well because we were in Santa Barbara. And so when they would do a tour, they'd go to L.A., of course, and then they'd come to the Bay. And so they'd want to make a stop uh, along the way and, you know, make some money, do a show. And then they'd come on the radio show and, and, uh, and do an interview and stuff like that. Oh my god, that'd be so much fun! Well, one of the one of the questions I had too was that you go to UC Santa Barbara. It's got to be tough some days to make it to class. It's so beautiful there. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, you know, some funny stories. They, <laughs> I don't want to bust myself, but they had this thing called uh, AS Notes. I have no idea if they still do this. It's like a service where a graduate student. Uh, in the class would actually type up notes and publish them. And then, so you could pay like 20 bucks for the quarter and just, you know, you'd see the notes, you are like, Oh my God, I'd never have written notes that well, or I missed <laughs> that part. So it was kind of a no brainer to do it. And then I started going to some of the classes and I'm thinking, why am I even sitting here? The notes, I'm not tracking the lecture. The notes are way better. And so what I ended up doing was I'd go pick up the notes and then just walk to the beach and sit on the beach when I, you know, during that class time, but just go sit on the beach and study the notes and I'm good. Yeah. Work smart, not hard. (laughs) (laughs) So throughout high school, college, all that kind of stuff, we all have those favorite teachers. Who was your favorite teacher? Wow. Man, there's uh, there is a bunch. I, I think that um, I really enjoyed that experience I had as the research assistant. That mm-hmm. was really cool working directly for that professor. Um, that was uh, that was really cool. Um, I think about high school. I actually think about my baseball coach more than anything. Um, that that was uh, that was a great experience. I learned a ton about baseball from him. Um, and, uh, and, you know, became a better player. It's just, uh, it was a great experience playing high school baseball. 
So are the are the girls into athletics, softball, or anything? My oldest is into softball. Yeah, so uh, she's been. Uh, in fact, they just had a team meeting on Zoom a couple couple nights ago, and I mean they haven't had a tournament in a year. It's amazing. Ugh. Um, they had a couple of, uh, bootleg practices that eventually got shut down. Um, so it's been hard to even, uh, get them out to practice, but, uh, hopefully, hopefully this, uh, summer they're planning to, uh, do a couple of big trips. So someone had told me that, uh, you implemented the first data warehouse at, uh, Bank of the West. So that had to be a huge undertaking. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, Bank of the West back then, you know, we were really operating more like a community bank. Um, and I, when I joined, I came from uh, JP Morgan Chase, Washington Mutual, so much bigger organizations. Um, I actually started my financial services career at a, what I'd like to think of as one of the first fintechs, a company called NextCard. Um, and we were issuing credit cards online. We were also a bank uh, taking uh, CDs online. And this is, you know, 99, 2000 during the dot-com. So I'm only saying that because we were doing very innovative things across the board, including with data. Um, so at Bank of the West, we weren't that savvy. Um, and we... But we were uh, soon to be considered to be a bank that was too big to fail in the U.S. So we had to really get our act together um, around data. Um, and so that really led to the investment and building out the team. Um, you know, I think we hired, uh, gosh, well, you, I'm sure you, you know better than me. I mean, we, we brought in, you know, we were bringing in 15 resources probably a month over the course of a year and a half just to get our arms around that. Um, but yeah, that, that was exciting. Um, I'm equally excited about the fact that uh, last year we implemented our first uh, data hub, so a more modern kind of big data ecosystem. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to at least play a, a part in that, or at least that happening. Um, and have much smarter uh, people than me trying to uh, bring that to fruition uh, for the bank. And so we'll actually, I'll be happy when what I started a number of years ago is actually gone and we're only relying on the, uh, the more modern data hub. So when, uh, back when you came on board, was that kind of what they had seeked you out for was to bring them into uh, the new way of doing business or the new technical way of doing business and kind yeah. of getting out of that community yeah, that, bank that type feeling? Yeah, that was definitely, a, I think, a, a just in general, a part of it. Um, the back, um, back then, you know, we're talking 2010-ish. We have to remember, we, we were all coming out of the financial crisis. Right. And um, that financial crisis was a pretty big blow for the Bay Area as it relates to banking jobs. Um, you know, uh, much of Wells Fargo started to shift to Charlotte in terms of their jobs, or at least out of uh, out of California, the Bay Area. Uh, Washington Mutual was gone. Uh, they were a big employer here. Uh, another a, a number of other banks kind of shifted or or disappeared. Um, B of A had already you know kind of moved to Charlotte. 
Uh, and those were all San Francisco Bay Area based banks at one time. Right. Uh, and so for a bank like Bank of uh, Bank of the West, it was a bit of an opportunity to scoop up some talent uh, that that wouldn't, I think, have normally uh, been attracted to Bank of the West. But now Bank of the West was kind of a, a big player left here in the Bay Area. That's interesting. So um, what is uh, what's the size of your management team? So, I mean, how, how many managers do you have? under you and then after that what's the size of your global it team so uh, direct reports to me are about eight um and then you know we probably have about uh hundred ish managers in in it in total um and then if i count the global organization we're probably 14 or 1500 uh, team members. Wow. So in going through COVID, um, how do you deal with a huge workforce like that very quickly switching to a remote workforce? Yeah, that, I mean, just in general, that experience is definitely a a lifetime one. Um, you know, it was, you know, if I think back to this time last year, um, you know, COVID was already here. Um, I was already going on trips to cities where they had cases mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, not paranoid, but after seeing what happened in China, um, me and the team got together. I said, look, we, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there were a number of people who were saying, you know, this is, this is just this is all hype, you know, let's not get, let's not get too worked up about this. But, you know, my, my motto was, um, (laughs) let's, uh, let's plan for the worst and hope for the best. And, and so that's what we did. Um, and we started, you know, just making sure we had the network capacity, making sure we started ordering tons of equipment, uh, because the s- supply chain was already being disrupted. We were ordering things in triplicate because orders were being canceled or, or delayed. Um, and then it, it hit us and it hit everyone quickly. And so, and then, you know, my team was amazing. They worked, they worked nonstop. We were building machines, you know, cause think about, we have call centers, we have operations people, we have people who never even dreamed of, of working from home. Right. And so we had to get equipment in their hands that they could then take home and figure out how to connect to their home network and, and operate. Um, and so over a three week period, we got about 8,000 people at home. Uh, and so that was, uh, that was a huge accomplishment. Um, but I, if, if we go beyond that, um, it was really just, you know, it, and it, it's still not easy. It's trying to connect with people. You know, we, we do a town hall with everyone in IT once a month. Um, so that's an opportunity to bring everyone together, hear the same messages, hear from different people from across the organization. Um, I try to get and do skip level sessions or go to different you know, leadership groups or teams or, or, or other smaller all hands and just be present. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, um, and, and so that's, that's been a big part of it and, and just try to be helpful. You know, I, I and check in on people. 
you know, I'm blessed to be here with three other people. Some people are at home alone. Some people are celebrating birthdays alone, right? So um, it's uh, just being mindful. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing you had that a lot of people don't think about is in a bank, in a financial services company, everything has to stay secure. So you have to move everything remote and then keep everything secure at the same time. Because there's so many different moving parts. And uh, one of the guys was on the podcast. Uh, uh, he's with uh, Corey with uh, Schwab. And he's in, in one of the heads of cybersecurity. And they had to move like 5,000 people in India to work in remote who had never worked remote before. And uh, he said, what an undertaking that was. And it's just going through all the different moving parts that uh, you folks have to go through. It's mind boggling. Yeah, that uh, India was once, like literally once we got everyone settled here, um, back to uh, prepare for the worst, hope for the best, we shifted to, to preparing for India, not knowing what was going to happen um, and doing a bunch of testing, trying to, new technologies out uh, that would enable these folks to work from home, whereas previously, um, you know, they were, that would never even been considered. Um, and India uh, fell so quickly. I mean, it was literally over 48 hours. They went to a national lockdown that was very strict. I mean, we couldn't even have people drive across town to go pick up a laptop in the office. We had one guy get his car impounded <laughs> uh, by the authorities because he was on the road. Yeah, it was really, uh, really tough. Wow, that's crazy. So um, will you be switching back to a conventional work from the office or a hybrid type thing? Or what, what are you looking at after uh, the it'll pandemic? Be it'll be hybrid. Um, I don't, we, we don't quite know what it's going to look like, um, but we definitely know it, it will be hybrid. Um, we, I think we just, we have to figure out kind of what that new way of working will be. And, and um, I'm thankful to have some really uh, impressive colleagues here at the bank who have a lot of experience in, in that. Um, but a lot of options, I think that um, it, it's also opening up some interesting things in terms of recruiting. So if we are a little bit more flexible than we used to be, then, then maybe we're not just looking in a few uh, metro areas and we can really open up in terms of what we think, where we can get talent from. Well, that's been one of the things that's really uh, opened up for my company as an IT staffing company is talking to managers who are like, oh no, I have to have somebody here on site. They have to be in front of me. We have to be in meetings every day. And I was like, well, you can get a lot of great people not working in front of you if you would, and you can also get them cheaper, <laughs> you know, um, right. and a lot of people just wouldn't go for it. And this guy actually kind of forced their hands because I did a po I did uh, a blog, uh, about, uh, six months before the whole COVID thing hit that said by 2024, over 50% of, uh, the workforce was going to be working remote at least part of the time. Right. And this whole, um, pandemic that we've gone through, or we're going through right now is just kind of forced it and made everybody see, just like you said, that. Yes, they can work remote. They can be just as, if not more productive and happier. 
mm-hmm. you know, because they're not stuck in Bay Area traffic or whatever for, you know, two or three hours of their day, you know, right. so they get to spend more time with their family. So then we just have to figure out other things like not having burnout because they're working all the time because they are at home. So, you know, as many good things and bad things come of it, there's just like there's little intricacies that have to be worked out. You know, so I talked with uh, the CIO from Police Credit Union uh, a couple weeks back, and he talked a lot about digital transformation. Um, what uh, What's going on right now as far as... Uh, your initiatives around digital transformation. Yeah, well, I, I think I, I'd be shocked if any industry, but uh, of course, financial services, where I mean, we've been talking about a digital transformation for years, um, and so I think it just—it's a matter of what does that mean for you and your company, and and what is your velocity of change. Um, and so for us, um, you know, promoting things like mobile banking, uh, remote deposit captures, obviously uh, payments, um, these type of things are, have always been important. But I think what we saw in COVID the first three months or so that uh, we probably accelerated our digital and, and digitization efforts three years uh, over a three-month period of time, right? Uh, both because we had to, you know, we de- we had to declare war on paper. We had to get paper out of our processes uh, because people weren't in an office, um, and you know, our clients' uh, behavior shift. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, <clears throat> the eighty-five-year-old uh, grandmother now needs to figure out how to use remote deposit capture. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that's been really cool, uh, to see that happen. Um, and, and so for us, I, I also think there's this notion of digital plus human. So how can we not lose the fact that we have really talented, uh, bankers who have personal relationships with clients and, and use digital to enable them as well in, in how they serve, uh, our customers. Yeah, well, just when I was writing all this stuff to prepare for it, it's like thinking back just a few years on the things I used to do to bank compared to what I do now. I mean, it's just like it's a whole different world. So my question, my next question is, do you see in the near future an end to cash? <laughs> that's a that's an interesting question. People talk about that a lot. Americans love cash. Oh yeah, I, I, I do too. I got a I got a pocket full of it right now for no reason. So yeah, I, I just for that that simple reason, I think um, no. Um, I do think that certain um, there we do see some countries moving more and more there. Um, you could you could uh, envision a time where a government actually forbids cash um, and for a number of reasons, in, including, uh, you know, black market or corruption and things like that. So I, we'll continue to move towards a less cash uh, world, but in the short run, Americans still like the, the greenback. What are your, what are your top priorities for uh, this year in the time of COVID? I mean, both from, 
for your customers and for employees? Yeah, we, um, I mean, it starts with people. So that's always at the top of the list, our people. Um, and, you know, how are we taking care of our, our, our existing team members? How are we uh, recruiting uh, game-changing talent? Um, we've, uh, we've created in the last couple of years pretty big relationships with universities, including Arizona State. Um, and so that we'll have, I think, 50 interns coming in here in the spring. Uh, and like last year, it will be all remote. Uh, so that takes some, uh, some coordination and thinking through. So, you know, first and foremost, people and culture and, and just how we're continuing to transform there. Um, beyond that, we do have an IT strategy. Uh, I presented it for the third time uh, last week to the board. Um, and so there, there's a number of components there, whether it's uh, moving to the cloud, uh, accelerating on our, our data journey, uh, digital, as, as we just said, what we're doing within the digital space and, and you know, how are we transforming those, those customer journeys with our digital work. Um, and really just our general movement to agile and, and DevOps in, in terms of how we actually, how, you know, how do we deliver this way? Um, so those, those, are, um, those are really top of mind for me. Um, we, uh, uh, last year, as, as you may know, the Paycheck Protection Program was a, a huge win for not only our bank, um, but, but also for the IT team, we were able to build a solution in 36 hours, literally, literally 36 hours that was client facing, um, again, really motivated team. We were running four hour sprints instead of two week sprints. Um, and, and, um, you know, through that work, we were able to, uh, issue loans to about, I think 17,000 clients that we think in doing that saved about 300,000 jobs in our communities here. Um, the second round of PPP is just launched. Um, our teams, we knew it was coming before the holidays. They worked over the holidays. Um, and, uh, again, we were one of the first banks to open up uh, this time around ahead of the big banks. Um, and, and it's a much improved client experience as well. And so just really, uh, really excited that um, we're, we're at the forefront there of, of change and helping the community as well. Well, that's awesome. And I, I, I think that a big part of uh, Bank of the West is that community feel. You know, out here in Brentwood, where our office is at, I was in the Rotary Club with a lady named Lori Avon, and she um, runs the Bank of the West branch out here. I mean, just uh, the the feel of the community is something mm -hmm. that's very important. And going back to what you were talking about with the interns there from ASU, I know that the campus there is right down the street from ASU. And I watched, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a, about a year ago, one of your posts on Facebook talking about that program. It's just a great program, right. and that's something that's great for the community um, and for the bank. That's right. You know, right. so speaking of great for the community, I watched a video about uh, a kid named Daniel Vasquez, and uh, it was for um, Year Up Bay Area. Um, great organization. That was a great video. Um, 
Can you tell me, tell me and us a bit more about Europe? I'd love to. Um, Europe is uh, it's a program, nonprofit that takes uh, young adults. So think of people who've graduated from high school but don't have a college degree. Uh, somewhere between 18 and 25 years old, really important time in someone's life and um, get them into a year long program where they'll spend the first six months in, in a classroom pre COVID in a classroom. Um, and, and that classroom time is, is really focused on two things. One would be tech skills. Uh, or whatever track you're going down. Some might be more project management, but generally tech skills. Uh, so really important and valuable uh, skills to have. The other though, which is kind of the secret sauce of the organization, uh, are soft skills. So they, they teach you how to shake hands. They teach you how to talk to someone in an office setting. Um, and they teach you to dress very professionally. And, um, and so when you're done with the first six months of, of that program, you then get placed in an internship with a corporate partner, like a Bank of the West. But now there's many, and I'm so thrilled to see a lot of the big tech firms uh, in as well, Facebook being uh, uh, one of the prominent ones. Uh, but we have hospitals, we have, um, you name it, uh, types of firms, big and small here now taking interns. Um, and, and I like to think of it more as an apprenticeship than an internship because it's six months. And um, most of these young adults at the end of that, that internship would love to stay on as a full-time employee. And so, um, and, and, and so that's unlike a, a more traditional college internship where the student goes back after two months back to, to, to college. Um, and so through this, you know, a lot of, it, it's really changing the, um, the professional arc of a lot of these young adults, getting them the skills they need, getting them the connections they need. Uh, they, they get mentorships with people uh, as well. And, um, and you know, th these young adults are, they're extremely bright. They're extremely motivated. Um, and so, you know, th these are people who just did not have the opportunity and so um, it's just amazing to see that untapped potential, you know, unleashed in, in corporate America. Um, this was something that I was thinking about before I even heard about um, um, Europe. You know, I, being a manager in IT, I saw we had to, we had literally have to search the world to find talent uh, to fill some of our roles. And I was thinking, you know, what happened to, you know, some of the folks that I grew up with, you know, what, have, what about people here from Bay Area? Um, you know, it, there's, there's something missing. There's a, there's a gap here. Uh, this is the tech hub of, of the world. And, and we should, you know, the, the, the people that are growing up here should be able to, to benefit from that. And so um, when I heard about Europe, I thought, oh, that's, that's 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 definitely along the lines of, of what I've been uh, what I've been thinking about. And I looked up I just looked up the uh, director's email, sent him an email. Um, he said, come on in. We chatted for an hour and, and kind of the rest has been history. That is so cool. I mean, is it 
a lot of people just need an opportunity. You know, it's like the, the, the interesting part about what you just said is learning how to shake a hand, learning how to have a conversation. In today's world, there's so many people who are so uncomfortable with just doing those things that you or I, it, it was a norm, you know, coming out of the 80s and 90s. And then as we get farther into this um, non-touch electronic world, you know, that your kids and my kids, my kid is growing up in. Uh, a lot of kids are uh, a little bit different today where they're more to themselves. They stay into their games, you know, whatever it is. So some people just need that extra little touch. Well, they, they do such a good job with this that I'd say, um, you know, the, the year up, um, uh, uh, interns and, and employees that we have there, they could teach <laughs> many of the rest of the folks. We have some, uh, some soft skills as well. They, they, uh, they really do a nice job. It, it is the secret sauce they have. Well, where can people find it on the internet to uh, go out and uh, look up uh, Europe? Yeah, Europe.org. Um, and there's uh, there's chapters around the U.S. Uh, okay. I've lost count of the number, but uh, here on the West Coast we have uh, Seattle. Uh, the Bay Area has a number. There's a there's a site now at DVC in the East Bay, San Jose, Facebook. They have one on their campus, so they they have 80 people going through who are just do internships on Facebook. And they're only targeting the, the area that Facebook is in, that kind of Menlo Park, Redwood City, Palo Alto, East Palo Alto area. So they're only drawing young adults from that area, uh, which is really impressive. Uh, we have San Francisco, Los Angeles, and uh, actually in Phoenix. Uh, so that's been a huge, uh, huge lift for me because I can also participate and get interns uh, in, our, in our Tempe office as well. That's so awesome. So my next question is uh, really about uh, uh, Bank of the West has a female CEO. Uh, over 40% of your executives are uh, female. Um, I know that diversity is an important part of Bank of the West. How do you align culture with strategy? Mm. Well, um, uh, what's the famous saying? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. So um, I mean, that, that is so true. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, our CEO, Nandita Bakshi, has an amazing story. Um, not only is she uh, a female, but also uh, was not born in this country, um, started her banking career as a teller, um, and just has, a, has an amazing, amazing story and journey. And so I think, you know, to your point, it starts at the top. Uh, she sets an amazing tone for us, um, and uh, and and it's uh, it's just been a, a great experience for me uh, to really watch how she uh, she really steers the ship. What are your hobbies outside of work? Do you still play baseball? <laughs> I was playing a, a little softball uh, when I could, but I um, I stopped because I was traveling so much that I, I just felt bad. I couldn't commit to the team, you know, uh, like I like I wanted to. Um, I started playing golf about ten years ago, 
and uh, it was something in, that I started in the the first kind of financial crisis when the, you know kind of the job situation was a little weird and and I thought let me let me just do something fun here um, and that gave me something to do with my dad my dad's been playing golf his his whole life and um, so that that was good but I just I could never play consistently let alone practice um, and so what's been truly uh, uh, another silver lining here with covid is I've been able to play now once a week. Uh, and, and so that's been, that's been fun. Um, I've, I've been able to play much more, get out. Um, and, and just in, and even in this COVID time, it, it's kind of the only thing that feels somewhat normal. You know, you can get out and, um, just be on the course and, um, and socialize with people, whether you know them or not. Obviously, it's easy to be socially distanced in the game of golf. Um, um, so that, you know, I, I wouldn't say before this, I, I didn't have a, a huge hobby, but definitely golf has, uh, has, has been big for me in COVID. Um, we talked a little bit about music. Um, I, uh, I did, uh, uh, in COVID, buy one of these, uh, these new DJ kits. Uh, so I've been able to play play around with that as well, and I got all my old MP3s out and, and, and got them loaded up. So that's been fun as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I get uh, I get out. Uh, my wife and I belong to a, a golf course out here, uh, Discovery Bay, and uh, she gets out there a couple times a week. Um, I, I just go out every once in a while on a weekend or something because it's one of those things where if I've got work on the mind, I can't hit the ball worth a crap. You know, yeah. and uh, but if I get out there, you know, if I can break 90, I'm a happy camper, you know, and uh, yeah, same, same with me. Yeah. Um, one one rule I have is I will not look at my phone on the course for that same reason, because you see an email that you don't want to see and then your mind somewhere else. So it, it can wait a couple hours. Yeah. So then I hit the ball and it goes even farther to the right. <laughs> can you recall i think you've talked about a couple of them but can you recall a defining event or a turning point in your life that led you to where you are today you know i, I i'm not sure there's a defining point um i've had a number of um kind of really impactful uh events including, you know, I talked about working for NextCard. I talked about working for Washington Mutual. Um, those were both banks that, that failed. Um, and so I don't know if too many people can say they've worked uh, for two or two banks that have actually failed. Uh, you learn a lot through that experience. And, um, you know, at the time, going through the first banking crisis, Having a, a two-year-old and, and a mortgage myself was uh, pretty stressful. Um, uh, and then, you know, kind of all leading up to even this past year with COVID and everything that that's taught us, and I'm sure things that we don't even know we've learned or, or, or uh, you know, when we look back on this, what we'll, what we'll think of it. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I think back to my my relationship with uh, my family um the team sports i played um 
um, you know, that, that pivotal moment when I figured out I, I actually wasn't smart and I just had to work my butt off. Um, it, it was things like that. Dropping out of law school uh, was a huge moment to say, okay, well, I got to, I got to do something different here and I got to, you know, I, I got to figure it out. Um, so I, I think there was just an element of, um, of, uh, it, it, it's not confidence as much as just, you got to persevere. Um, and you know, when I, when I got the CIO job, uh, three years ago, uh, that was, that was a big step up. I mean, I was, I was playing in a big role, but to go from the role I was in to being the CIO was a big, that was a big step. And, um, and so I remember the first six months, you're, <laughs> it is literally drinking from a fire hose. Um, you know, if you think, when I think back to um, in, in the prior role, you might have a, a couple meetings a week that were really big meetings, you know, where you're, you're talking to a regulator or you're, you're talking to your CEO and you'd know those two meetings, you know, you'd be planning for those two meetings. Um, I have eight hours of those meetings a day now. And, and so there's also an element of just, you, you're not going to be able to, to plan that much. You know, you gotta, you gotta be able to kind of roll with things um, and, uh, and, 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 and trust the people who are working for you as well. Um, so that's, that's been a big, big uh, learning moment for me. Yeah. Hire great people. Think on your feet. You know, those are, those are, pretty big things to uh learn and uh it takes a long time to get there you know they, they don't just happen overnight um I, I was just thinking while you were talking and I, i've talked to a couple different people um a couple have actually been on uh the podcast that used to work for you and uh i, w- I always heard that you're a very even keel person what really gets you pissed off <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, you know, I, um, what does, um, probably just very small things or simple things. Um, and, and usually in, and and the even keel is, is, is probably just more of, of what they see, uh, and not, not what's going on in my head. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly don't like it when, um, people are, are rude or demeaning. Um, there's just, I I have no patience for that. Um, I don't, I don't really like it when people are, are BSing, you know, um, that, that is also not something that, that, uh, I take lightly you don't know something that's all good <laughs> just say it right uh, but 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 bs is 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 really not not something that that i like um probably the, the the moment i get the most frustrated is trying to get my uh my 13 year old to do her math homework <laughs> well I, i'm right there with you on the little things and one of the little things is the little white ball that i hit on a golf course and mo- mostly what it is is it's sometimes my own I'm the one who really makes me mad most of the time. And even with it, even when it's somebody else who's doing something, it still somehow comes back to me. So uh, I appreciate your candid uh, answer. 
So the last thing I'm going to ask you, two things actually, what's one of the last books that you read that you would suggest as a must read to all the rest of us? Oh gosh. Um, I just read me and my team. We read, um, I think it's called measure what matters by John Doerr. It's about, uh, OKRs objectives and key results. Um, and, and not, sorry, it's not some exotic, uh, you know, novel, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, um, it's a really, really interesting read, um, and uh, a lot of focus on how OKRs help change, you know, Google, uh, how um, Intel used them, and a number of organizations, uh, many organizations use them today, and they line up very well with uh, an agile at scale kind of delivery. Um, they work very well for me because the key results are all things that you can measure, so it's very data-driven. Um, so that, that was cool. Um, I also re read, um, a book called white fragility. Um, and, and that, uh, that's a really interesting book, especially after, um, last year and, um, you know, what, what really happened after George, George Floyd, uh, uh events. Uh, so I, I really recommend that for, uh, for people to read. Perfect. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here. I'm going to ask you the last question. It's the same question I ask everybody at the end of the True Ambition podcast. So my background is uh, I've been sober about six and a half years. Finally got out of that thing, uh, the, my drinking problem. And uh, one of the quotes that I found in one of the books from my 12-step program was, uh, true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. When I read that five or so plus years ago, it really kind of changed my perspective because I've always been very ambitious. Most of the people I talk to are. And what I found is that my ambition changed. And instead of serving myself, I started trying to serve other people. So my question at the end is always, what is your true ambition in your personal life and in your career moving forward yeah well um uh that that is a a profound um uh thing to think about um you know i think in terms of work career what i've really um enjoyed as uh, being a cio being at that level is um is helping others is having the platform to do that um and and whether it's thinking trying to think about uh diversity and inclusion um or uh just helping your teams deliver and and we we talk about um uh, some of our delivery teams they they create uh, magic dust you know they they create the this this uh this this magic um i don't do that uh, what they come to me for is when they're stuck in goo. And so my <laughs> job is to get them unstuck. And, and I, I really enjoy that um, and being able to do that kind of at scale. Um, and, you know, similar to what I've been trying to do with uh, Year Up. Um, and, and more recently, I've been um, introduced to a, a couple of other uh, organizations. Um, one's called Smash. 
Another is called Genesis Works. They do very similar things, but they actually start in the high school uh, with uh, with folks. And um, you know, I, I think personally, it's just about you know what what good can I do? Um, and that's actually something I've started asking myself uh, over the last year. In the morning, it's like, well, what good can I do today? And at the end of the day, <laughs> what good did I do today? Um, and just that simple. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's usually that doesn't involve yourself, as you mentioned, uh, and it usually involves uh, trying to help others um, and just be a, a, a decent human on this planet. Awesome. Well, I love it. Uh, you and I start and end our day pretty much the same way. Um, and uh, the, the funny part is when we do that kind of thing and help somebody else out, we usually are helping ourselves without even knowing it. So I, I really appreciate you being here today, Jacob. And uh, I look forward to uh, meeting you again when all this pandemic stuff is over. Maybe we'll go out and hit the golf links. Sounds good. And thank you, John. This is this has been fun. And uh, uh, it's been a, been a great experience. And have a great, great weekend. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the True Ambition Podcast. Uh, we'll see you next time. The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org. Now, go find your true ambition. And I'll be your protector.